everybody doing this evening? Bring it. No, no, we ain't doing that. I know for me, I am very happy and uh, relieved to be here. It has been like a heavy three days. Dude, preach. It's just, I'm like, Satan is just like beat. And it's not even like physically. Like, if you look at my week, I've been in training all week, free lunches, not really much to do at work, but it's like work behind the scenes has been ridiculously stressful. Just a lot of garbage going on. A lot of people blaming other people and then people on the defense. And so it's just good to be here with you guys. Very selfishly, I wish that this was my life. It was just hanging out with you guys. Not not like some noble, like, I wish I did God's work all the time, although we should be about that. But just being with you guys is very refreshing. So good to be here. It is. It is. So, hey, and I meant every word of it. So, all right, so as Stephen said, we're going to be starting the will of God for my life, i.e. your life, really every uh, believer, every human's life, um, for that matter, um, alive right now. And this study is very near and dear to my heart. Um, This is the study that God really used in my life in high school to put a fork in my road and say, okay, Bobby, what are you going to do? Are you going to fulfill the lusts of your flesh, or are you going to fulfill the purpose, the plan that I've laid out for you. Um, And it was through an FCA. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this story. I say it over and over, um, but it just impacts me, obviously. Um, Jay came in during an FCA and was sharing about redeeming the time, sharing about the will of God, and he was going through each one. And I just realized how much time I was wasting. Um, And that's one of the wills we'll be going through. But it was just this idea that God has a specific plan and a specific desire for everybody in here. Um, it's not difficult to understand. It's not difficult to find. A lot of times it's hard to believe and submit to. Um, so God came into my life and said, Bobby, are you going to submit to this? And I praise God that I did because it changed the entire course of my life. Um, I wouldn't be married to who I'm married to today. I wouldn't be standing up here today. I wouldn't be in this church. There's a lot of debate on if I'd even be saved, depending on when I actually got saved. So God used this study very mightily in my life, and I pray that he does the same with you guys. Um, So some of the key objectives at the top of your study sheet for this study, very simple, but I pray that you guys would use these as KPIs. You guys ever heard of KPIs before? Key performance indicators. Use it in work. It's it's like measurables, right? How you measure the success of something. Like somebody, like in baseball, you got a batting average, RBIs, home runs. You know, those are KPIs. They measure how good somebody is at something. These are measurables that I want you to examine yourself each week and think about, okay, am I getting these things? So the first one, to understand what God's will is and is not. I want you guys to be able to walk away from this study, and if somebody comes up to you and says, what does God want you to do? You can clearly communicate that to them. Also, to understand what God's will or plan is for your life personally. What does he want you to do? Not just these wills, but specifically through these wills, God will show you specific things in your life that he wants you to do. For example, one of them for me was coming to this church, starting discipleship, marrying my wife. A lot of things that God used these wills to make very clear in my life. Next one, to be submissive and sensitive to God's will. Sensitive. You're very sensitive to God's leading. You can sense it and you allow him to work in you. I pray that this would allow you to be very sensitive to that and then also submit to his will for you. And then the last part, to be a doer of God's will and not just a hearer. Flip over to James chapter 1. We can get a lot of knowledge in this church, a lot of information, a lot of good stuff, a lot of things that we could probably take a lot of 
Bible scholars, if you will, to school on with knowledge, but it doesn't mean a lick. It doesn't mean a rip if you don't do anything with it practically in your life. Very, very familiar passage, but I want this to kind of be the bedrock, bedrock, the launching pad. So James 1, we're going to start in verse 22. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You see, you deceive your own self when you just hear it and you think that you're doing it. Be honest with yourself and recognize, look, I'm not doing these things. There's gaps in my life. Don't just hear them and absorb it and deceive yourself. Hear it and then work it out practically. Verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. What does that part mean? Verse 23 and 24. Like a man going up to a glass, looking at it, and then walking away. What does that mean? How does that, how does that compare to the scriptures? Emily. Yeah. The Bible is a mirror. Okay? It's just like when you wake up in the morning. I remember Jay's example, and it always stuck with me. You look in the mirror, and, and you guys know what his example is? Yeah, you see a big pimple. How many of you hear, like, popping pimples? Okay, some people, it's like a weird fetish. They're like, oh, yeah, I love seeing the pus come out. I don't, I don't get that, but whatever. But you see a pimple. What do you do? You pop it. You get rid of it. You clean it up. You see your hair's all a mess. You don't look at it. Some of you guys probably do. You look at it, and you're like, yeah, good enough, and you walk away. You fix it. You clean it up. You see what state you are, and you're like, okay, I need to fix that. I need to fix that. I need to clean that up. I need to brush my teeth. I need to do this, 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 and that. It's the same thing with the Bible. You can hear it. You can go up to the mirror and see everything that's wrong, see the things you need to do, see all the good and all the doctrine, and then shut your Bible and walk away. You're just a hearer if that's all you do. Look at the Bible like a mirror. When we look through this study, look at it like a mirror. See yourself for who you truly are. There's going to be wills that we look at that you're going to be like, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Don't be too arrogant. Don't be too confident. But then there's others where God's really going to prick you right in the heart. Allow God to work those things out in your life. Treat this Bible like a mirror and do something with it. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, allows it to work inside of them. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Just like Emily said, when you read your Bible and you go out through your day and you forget what you read. Don't be a forgetful here. Meditate on these things. Allow them to work inside of you. Allow them to change what needs changed inside of you. And these wills are going to be very practical. But be a doer. That's one of the last objectives. Be a doer of God's will, not just a hearer. So what is a will? All right, so a will, we got Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Um, it's that faculty of the mind by which we determine either to do or to or fair, forbear an action. It's a choice. It's a determination, divine determination, moral purpose, or counsel. Okay, you have a will to do something. And will can also mean testament or the disposition of a person's estate. All right, so who writes a will? Andrew? Attorneys. Okay, who are they writing them for? Huh? Did you say someone who's dying? I mean, I guess we're all dying, so that's sort of true. Someone with possessions. Yeah, someone with possessions. Okay, who does it apply to? 
Old people. It's not accurate. No, that's not true, you idiot. Who does it apply to? So me and Brandy have a will. We probably need to get it updated because I don't think Matthew's in our will. I don't think he is. I don't think we wrote. Well, I don't. Okay. Brandy knows that. You probably need to update it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he is. Anyways, we have a will. Who does that will apply to? Does it apply to me and Brandy? No. No. Now there's parts of it where if I die, yes, it applies to Brandy. What if we both die? Huh. Yeah, it applies to the beneficiary, who it's written to, who it's written for. Okay, and there's a whole string of who it goes to and all that stuff and who gets this and who gets the house, who gets all the money. We don't have much money. <laughs> but it, that's, it applies to a beneficiary, who it's specifically written to. And then when does it go into effect? When we are dead. That is when it goes into effect. Flip over to Hebrews 9, a familiar passage. But for some of those that some of you that are newer to the Bible, I I always love this this section of verses. Again, it speaks to the practicality of God, making things very simple for us. We're gonna start in verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where it where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. What's another word for testament? Will. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Same thing. And I always think these wordings are very unique. Okay, because who's our testator? Jesus Christ. And I'm going to challenge you tonight. We're going to look at some things that went into effect. Look at some things that are only mentioned in the New Testament that went into effect after he died. This New Testament, and I know Pastor Tom will use this example from the pulpit of how the New Testament began, started at Christ's death. But there's also the will associated with that, this specific will that we're going to look at. All right, so main types of wills in the Bible. So God's perfect, I think, is bolded or... Did I make it a blank? I meant to. I don't think I did, though, did I? Yeah, all right. Draws attention to it. God's perfect will is a set of specific events that God wants to take place. These things will come to pass or God will be found a liar. What are some, thing, what are some examples of God's perfect will? These things that will come to pass, there's not anything you can do about it. Yeah. At the end, every knee is going to bow, every, to- every tongue is going to confess. What else? The rapture? Yep. What about any of the Old Testament covenants? What about any of the Messianic prophecies? All these things that there is nothing that you or I could do to change. It's God's perfect will. There's nothing you can do. The salvation promises. I think of the seven mysteries. You know, the restoration of the nation of Israel, the rapture, um, God using the church. There's things that God is going to do with or without you. It's a lot better to be a part of his plan, though. And then God's permissive will is what he allows to happen. What are some examples of God's permissive will? Don't overcomplicate it. Jacob. Okay, yeah, that's a great example. Job. What did God allow with Job? 
Yeah, everything to be taken from him. What else? Huh? Illness. Yeah, illness. Yeah, any anything that happens here. What about? Huh? Jonah. What about all our choices? What about salvation? Flip over to Psalm 81. It's always hard for me to wrap my mind around, you know, the choices of human beings, despite God's ability to work through our free will to still accomplish his perfect will. To me, that speaks of a mighty, mighty God in a loving God that he still wants us to be a part of it despite our flaws, despite our sin, despite the amount of times we let him down. But look at this example in Psalm 81. We're going to start in verse 10. It says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So God's trying to feed them. He's trying to take care of them. And how does Israel respond? Nah, I'm good. No thanks. Does it say that God wanted to take care of them? God wanted to feed them? God wanted to provide for them? So was it God's will to provide for them? Yeah, but they wanted none of it. Verse 12. So I gave them up into their own hearts, lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The, hater, the haters of the Lord should have, been, should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. All these things were waiting had Israel submitted unto them. He was ready to feed them. He was ready to destroy their enemies. He was ready to lift them up. But they would have none of it. So God gave them over to their own heart's lust. Just as a sidebar, let me ask you, if he was writing about you in Psalm 81, how would he describe you? Would he say, I tried to take care of, put your name, but they would have none of it. And so I gave them over to their heart's lust. And I got news for you, giving over to your heart's lust, that's a hard place to be. I want to give you guys a challenge right now. Think of the most, the worst thing you can think of, the worst sin. Worst sin. Like if somebody came to you and they were confessing that, you'd be like, wow, I never want you looking at me, never want you interacting with my kids. I don't even know what to say to you. Worst sin. All right, so you guys got that in your mind? All right, now tell me you're not capable of doing the most heinous things in this world. That stuff's already in your mind. Satan's got that stuff planted in you. Don't think that Psalm 81 couldn't be written about you. And think about what your life would be if you were given over to your own lusts. Anything that enters into your mind, don't think that you're not capable of performing the same thing. But it's God's permissive will. You have a choice to obey God's will for your life or to not. And the result of not is the same thing with the nation of Israel. So I gave them up into their own heart's lusts. Don't be given up to your own heart's lust. But it's a choice. Write down, we're not going to go there, but Acts 21, 
verses 1 through 14. Where did Paul strongly desire to go? And God was like, no, not yet. Holy Spirit was like, no, not yet. The people were like, no, not yet. Where did he desire to go? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Did he go to Jerusalem? Yeah, he still went. They're like, nevertheless, all right, let God's will. And God still used that, but the point is, God, it's always better to be right in the center of God's will that he has for you. Even good things in your heart, prayerfully consider to the Lord. But that's God's permissive will. But going back to Hebrews 9, 14 through 17, we have the death of a testator. And this testament begins. And although the entire Bible contains God's will, the will of God, the exact term does not show up anywhere except in the New Testament. I think that's very interesting. Jesus talks about the will of his Father, but the references of the will of God for us all appear after his death. Again, that just strikes me as something that's very unique. And again, a mystery that once was hidden but now revealed, and we'll look at that a little bit later in Ephesians. So we're going to look at God's specific will. Now, that should be a blank. Is that a blank on your sheet? Okay. We're going to look at God's specific will for church-age saints, the plan he left for you upon his death. And it goes right along with his permissive will. So your next point right there, God laid down his life on this planet and left his will in his book. So your first bullet point, understand and do God's will. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start verse 8. It says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. The mystery of his will. Okay, so what is? how do you define a mystery in the Bible? You guys should have this down pat. Huh? What? That's how you define mystery? No. I'm like, how do you define mystery? Like, when it says mystery. How do you define mystery? Like, biblically, what, 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 how do we define mystery? Emily? Yes. Something that was once hidden but is now revealed. This specific will that God has for us in the New Testament. Like I said, this will of God was never mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, I would argue that a lot of these practices, it was very wise to do in the Old Testament, but God lays it out very specifically in the New Testament for us. All right, 1 John chapter 2. This is a very powerful verse. A lot of application you can draw from this one. Verse 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
And we know the first part. The world's going to pass away, the lust thereof. All this is going to be gone. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's two ways that I take that. First off, the will of God. What's the most powerful will of God verse, I would argue, is 2 Peter 3.9. Anybody know that by heart? We're going to be going there next. So if somebody can't quote it, we're going to be going there. Sam? Yep, and the key meat in that verse, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you obey that will, when you obey God's will for your life, God's will for every human being's life, not just for a specific group, everybody on this planet, his will for them is to get saved. His will for them is to be repentant, to look at themselves and see themselves for who they are, that they have offended a perfect God, the God that created them, and that there is a solution for the wages of sin is death. We, are, we deserve hell, recognizing that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, calling out to Jesus Christ to save you. That's God's will for every human being on this planet. Don't be duped by any false religion out there, any garbage. That's God's will for everybody. And he that obeys that, he that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. So there's your eternal application. But then I want to even take it a step further for you guys here now, because a lot of you in here, yeah, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. What about practically? Think of another verse that has to do with doing something that God commands us to do and it will extend your life on this earth. What's a command that you guys can think of? Megan. Extending your life? Yeah. Obeying your parents? Yep. And you may have long life and it may be well with the obeying your mother and your father. And I remember teaching that to little children. And saying, guys, when you obey your mom and your dad, when you obey what they've done, because God works through your parents, whether you want to admit it in the moment or not, he does. I would venture to believe, according to the scripture, you're going to have a longer life on this earth. You're going to be doing things that God counts fruitful, that God counts productive. He's got a mission. He's going to keep you busy doing the work. And it's just going to keep you safer. It's the same thing with these wills. When you're doing the will of God, when you're doing the things that God has called you to do, you're going to have a successful life on this earth. And I firmly believe that when you're not and you're idly going by, God doesn't have much for you to do at that point. How much value are you bringing God with your life? Ask yourselves that right now. Why should God keep you on this world? Why should God keep you here? What are you doing to justify your existence? I get goosebumps even saying that because I'm like, I, I don't, I'm ashamed of what my answer would be. If God said, why, why shouldn't I just pluck you out right now? What would you say? What fruit do you have to justify your very existence on this world? I want to tell you right now, if you're following these wills, if you're submissive and sensitive to God's leading through these wills, you will have a very fruitful life. And God will have zero reason to pluck you out of this world. You'll be almost stoned to death and get right back up and go, go in the fight. You'll be beaten and you'll be excited that you were counted worthy to suffer persecution at the name of Jesus Christ. Is the same said about you? And I know they're not dragging you out of schools and stoning you. But you... Satan can only do so much with somebody who's on fire for God. God's got a special hedge of protection around people. 
I constantly think of Paul and his life and how he should have been killed over and over and over and over. And God brought him right up to the edge and Paul's like, all right, God, I'm still here. I'm going to keep on going. He didn't give God a reason to take him out of this world. What reasons are you giving God to keep you in this world? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Don't you want to have a long, successful life? And I'm not saying a long life here that you can grow up and have a family and have a nice yard and all those things. I struggle with that. Sometimes I want that. Less and less, that's, or more and more, that's been pulled away from my desires. But don't you want to have a life that you can look back on in eternity? Like, man, I'm so glad that I, I turned it around and I fought the fight. I'm so glad that I didn't invest in that garbage. You're, we're always going to have regrets. We're, we're humans. We have a flesh. We have sin we're dealing with. But do something about it. These wills, these seven wills will protect you. They'll keep you on the straight and narrow. They'll keep you very quick, as you'll see just by the first one. They'll, you dabble in sin and you get right back out of it. You dabble in sin and you get right back out of it. You know, I think of it like this. Just like lines. You know, you guys have heard about that one degree of deviation, right? You know, say you're like in freshman year. Say you're here, okay, and here's the straight path that God has you on. And you're like, you know what? That girl's pretty cute. What's the big deal? I mean, I'm only off, you know, half a millimeter here. It's more like two millimeters. What's the big deal? All right, freshman year goes on. Sophomore year goes on. Junior year. Senior year. Say that's a lot of millimeters. <laughs> Look at that growth. One little decision takes you off course. But you know what happens when you're following the will of God? You make that decision, you're like, God, I have no business doing this. And you get right back on. You repent. And then you, I don't know, you do something stupid. Fill in the blank. We all got them. And you're like, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be doing that. God, I, I don't know what I'm thinking. God, and then you know what happens as you go on? It becomes less. It becomes less. It becomes smaller. You might have a blitz. But the point is you're always coming back to that. You're not letting one situation, you're not letting one decision ruin you. What, is that just not good? It just looks like tachycardia. Like, yeah, I know. It's okay. So you follow God's will, you'll die. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Your heartbeat stops. Yeah, your flesh, your flesh dies. There you go. This is just one giant heartbeat. You're like waiting for it to come back down. Does that, does that make sense though? I mean, does that... You're constantly fighting to get back to that path. And it gets less and less. But this will of God will protect you. It keeps you on that straight and narrow. It keeps you very quick to repent and restore that fellowship. Because what happens when you're off that path? What's your relationship like with Jesus Christ? It's garbage. It's fake. We know it's fake. And even in our one-on-one time, we know it's fake. And we'll still sit down and try and read the Bible as it's like some, you know, magic uh, 
what do you call it, rabbit foot or something. I remember when I was in high school, I'd be like, man, if I can just get in my Bible, then I'll have a good day. Baloney. Man, if I could just love Jesus Christ and submit to his will, yeah, then I'll have a good day. And what I measure goodness on will be a whole different scale. How quick are you to get back on the straight and narrow? These wills will protect you. They will keep you. And they will give you a purpose. They will give you a reason on why you exist in this world. So your next bullet point, there's seven things that God specifically says are his will for us. And we're going to look at these in detail over the next seven weeks. All right, we already looked at 2 Peter 3.9. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want to look at, highlight these verses. You know, let's break these up. So we're all going to 1 Thessalonians 4. Who can take 5.18? Carson? Uh, who can take 1 Peter 2.13-15? Alana? Uh, Emily? Romans 12.2? Who wants Ephesians 6.5-8? Sam? And then Ephesians 5.15-17? Jared? All right, so we already did number one, to be repentant of your sins. And that's eternal, and then it's also practically daily. I love this picture. It's a picture of being practically repentant every single day. And unfortunately, our graph looks more like a, what do you call that? My, what do you, Andy, what do you call that? Tachycardia. Okay. UKG. Yeah, I don't know what that is. A heartbeat monitor. That works. You should be always coming back to that. It's the same thing. I give the example of a parent with kids. I hate when my kids do something wrong, but man, is it sweet when they come and they make it right. Just this afternoon, we were up talking, and Emma comes up. She's like, man, I got some exciting news to share with you. And I'm like, okay. She's six. You know, this will be interesting. She's like, so Matt, we were downstairs, and I hit him in the eye. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> like, all right, continue, because she's still smiling, and I don't hear him crying. She's like, well, when I did, I, I made it right. I'm like, well, how did that work? She's like, well, I said I was sorry. I asked him to forgive me, and he did, and we hugged and kissed, and we're good now. Isn't that exciting? And, you know, I, I'm very excited for it. I'm trying to play it out in my mind. But I'm like, their fellowship was restored in that moment. Whether it was, you know, Emma putting on a show, I could see her just going down there and saying, man, watch, hitting him in the eye. All right, now let's make it right. You know, she's just the way her mind goes. But even in that moment, to, in Matt's mind, like the, the fellowship was restored. Same thing with siblings, same thing with friends. You know, we talked about that when we looked at vulnerability a couple weeks ago. When sin enters between a, a friend's relationship or any of that, you guys want quick resolution, don't you? Do you not? How many of you guys in here, you have friendships that that hasn't happened? Created a pretty big divide in them, hasn't it? Cam, I'm sorry. We good now? All right. <laughs> so that's to be repentant of your sins. Eternally, salvation. God wants everybody to get saved and then practically every single day. Uh, point number two, to be sanctified. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Real quick, what does sanctification mean? To be sanctified. Jacob. Be set apart, to be different. You guys are called to be different. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You should be different. People should see you differently. The way you talk, the, the decisions you make. I try and be a huge standout at work. Somebody made a comment because I laughed at a joke one time at work, and they're like, oh, we're corrupting you. I'm like, that's not the thing they should be saying about me at work. And it was convicting because I'm like, I need to be set apart. I need to be different. I should not blend in with that garbage. 
even though it's harmless, even though there's things that you're like, well, that's not a sin, run it through the, the realm of sanctification. Does it make you look sanctified or does it make you look just like them? You're called to be holy. It's a whole different standard. It's perfection. All right, so that's to be sanctified. Next point, to be thankful. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Boy, that's like an impossible trait to find nowadays. Nobody's thankful. We are to be thankful. I'm telling you right now, you want to make some eyes go big? You want to turn some heads in school? Have a thankful heart. Tell your teachers, thank you. Thank you for teaching you. Thank you for whatever. Somebody holds a door for you, you say thank you. Somebody does something for you, you say thank you. Just have a thankful, happy spirit about you. We should be the most thankful people in the world. How happy would you be if you won a billion dollars in the lottery or a million dollars in the lottery? One of you guys won the lottery today. I guarantee we would all have known about it after you walked into this, this classroom tonight. How much more valuable is our eternity? And I know I use those illustrations, and we're all guilty of it. Life just wears on us, and we can become very numb and forget the value that we have in Jesus Christ. But how valuable is your salvation? You guys wouldn't trade that for anything, would you? We should be the most thankful, happy people. I know sometimes when something goes good for me in a day, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I can be very, and then when things go bad, I can be like, like today, I felt really down. And you know what? I felt convicted because I should be very even keeled. I should be the same emotionally every day because what God did for me, what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, trumps everything that could ever be good or ever go wrong in my life. It has already fully fulfilled me. There's nothing that could take that fulfillment away. Can the same be said about you? If so, then you should be, it should be very easy for you to be thankful. All right, point number four, to obey authorities. So that's 2 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Yep, and I like that. To, with well doing, you may put the ignorance, the fool, or the ignorance of foolish men. You may put it to bed. How many of you guys see students in your classrooms that aren't obeying authorities? Yeah, a lot. Or athletes on a field. It's become common knowledge, and you know what? They learn that. They learn that in their households. This applies twofold. Do you guys who you interact with in your school district, and also at home with your parents? This is another one. If you want to stand out, obey your teachers with a joyful spirit. Be an easy student for them. You will win your teachers over by doing that. There are ways my senior year that I affected teachers that I had no idea of until a year after, five years after, and I'm talking to teachers and some of the impact that I had. I remember my, the end of my senior year, I won Mr. Northwest. And I'm not saying that to tout me up, but I, I remember I was shocked. Because there were some teachers that I had a really close relationship with, but the impact that I had by obeying them, by having a joyful spirit, and I'm, again, my high school year, you could summarize 80% of it was garbage. The last 20%, I felt like I was really doing something for the Lord. But it had an impact on the teachers. It caused them all to be talking behind the background. Are teachers talking about you behind the background? Are you somebody that stands out and they're like, 
Yeah, man, that Caleb Wurstler, that's somebody I want in my class. But yeah, that Rose Neal, she's very pleasant to have. She doesn't argue with things that I have her do. She's always helpful with other people. You know, I give her a task, she does it, she does it well. And you're well doing. You know, it's like Pat, or no, I think you shared it on Sunday, talking about being the best worker you can be. And I sometimes I struggle with that because I'm like, I'm investing in something that's just going to burn. I struggle with my job big time. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing that to make more salt. I work in a salt plant. I'm not doing that to increase productivity, although I am. I'm doing it to be an awesome testimony so that people behind the scenes are saying there's something different about that worker. And it's more than just doing a good job. It's having a good spirit about it. It's being excited about it. It's being obedient without murmuring. I mean, it's really taking it that basic. How you're supposed to obey your parents, you really should treat your authorities like that as well until it violates the scriptures. So to obey authorities. Number five, do not be conformed to this world. Romans 12, 2. Yep, so be not conformed to this world. So that you can prove to this world that will of God. And it goes right along with sanctify, but it's a little different. What is rubbing more off on you? This church or this world? person I think of immediately is Lot. What did it say about Lot? What happened to his soul by him being in the midst in Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, vexed his just soul. Don't think just because you're saved or you're just or you're righteous, that these things aren't going to affect you. You can vex your soul with the filthy conversation that's going on around you. Don't let it. Let this book wash you and renew your mind. Don't let this world conform you because if it does, if you start being, becoming conformed to this world, you're not going to look sanctified. And before you know it, <clears throat> this one degree is going to take you out and it's going to extrapolate out 5, 10, 15 years down the road. And before you know it, you're given over to your heart's lust. Don't let this world affect you. You ought to affect the world. Use it against them. It's like that series, Turning the Tables. Don't let Satan's tactics affect you. Use them to affect this world. All right, number six, to have pure motives. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing that any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Yep, and the key is doing the will of God from the heart. <clears throat> I mean, how excited did your parents get when you would obey them while stomping away? with a frown or ticked off or you do a half-hearted job but you did the bare minimum that they asked is that what your parents are looking for no i'm sure as heck not what i'm looking for and it's neither it's not what god's looking for and the difference is with our parents you know we can hide it we think well let me rephrase that we think we can hide it at the end of the day god still reveals more to your parents than you would ever know i see it in our kids god does things and i'm like oh thank you god now i gotta deal with it which i don't want to but thank you for showing this to me the difference with god is you can't hide anything from god he can see right into your heart he knows your motives and that's where you got to ask yourself if i'm doing this with the wrong motives why am i doing it at all and i have one answer for you it's pride 
It's wanting everybody in here to think that you have all your ducks in a row. Don't let it just be a pride act. Do things with pure motives. Do things with the right heart. Do things for Jesus Christ. If you don't have the right heart, just be honest with God about it. Deal with it. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you can't get over, talk to God about it. Talk to someone about it. But do things with the right heart. Or God, he doesn't want any of it. They're just filthy rags. It goes right along with without faith, it is impossible to please him. You're doing it absent of faith. You're doing it in and of yourself. You can do very good, godly things in your flesh, and God wants none of it. Do it in your heart. God wants you to love him with the heart, not out of duty. He wants you to obey him with your heart. And then the last one, this is my favorite. Not that it's the most, it's just the one that impacted me. Uh, to not waste time, Ephesians five fifteen through 17. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And I love the phrase in there. I meant to change it on your guys' study sheet, but redeem or purchase back, to take back, to take the time that you have and serve God with it. Time is the one commodity that you cannot get back in this world. You can't get any more of it. As I've been talking up here, each second that goes by, you can't go back in time and get it. The most valuable thing that you possess, what are you doing with it? That's, and I'm just sharing my own personal conviction. I remember when I was in high school, towards the end of it, I got very, and this is not a knock on what I'm going to talk about, it's just what God did in me personally. I got very convicted playing video games because I was sitting there and I'm like, here I am. And I wasn't using it for me. You know, I know there's people that do it together and stuff. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to knock any of you. I did it for myself. I wanted to please myself. I wanted to veg out. It's all I was trying to do with it. And I'm like, here I am investing in something that's not even real. As seconds go by, I'm like, what am I gaining from this other than a headache? And that was something that God did in my heart personally. What is something in your life that you're not redeeming the time in? I'm not saying it has to be video games. That's just what God did with me. Buy that time back. Pull it back and use it for God. Because you can't get it back. I kick myself thinking about the amount of time I wasted when I was your guys' age. You guys are in that spot now. You can do something about it. I can't go back and change it. I can deal with now rather than sitting in a corner and sulking about it. And it motivates me to be very careful about what I spend my time doing. It's like I've been very tired lately. Um, for the last like week or two, my sleep's been thrown off. And I remember every time I lay down to take a nap, I'm like, I hate it. Naps go like against my grain. Just because, again, I'm like, nap is for the nighttime. You know, when you sleep, I just don't like napping during the days. It's something I struggle with. What is it with you guys? What's something that you need to buy that time back and you need to give over to God? So redeem the time. So that's seven specific things that God has laid out. That he's, and the key phrase is his will. God's not willing. It's part of God's will. It's God's will for your life are all located in these seven key things in the New Testament. And we're going to look at them, like I said, in detail in the next, next seven weeks. But this last point, and then we'll close. It's all in how you approach his book. Uh, let's go over to Luke chapter 5, and then we'll end in 2 Thessalonians. Luke chapter 5. I love this story of 
Matthew, Levi, whatever you want to call them. It's really where the name, why we came up with the name Matthew. I just didn't like the name Levi either, but... Because as I say that, it's, he's called Levi here. And then you guys are like, well, why didn't you name your son Levi if you liked it because of this passage? Well, we like Matthew, so... You guys are probably not following anything I just said, but whatever. I was following it in my mind, so that's what matters. So 527. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican. So Jesus went forth, he saw a publican, a tax collector named Levi. What's another name for Levi? Who's Levi? Matthew. Sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. I just think that's awesome. No questions asked. He didn't ask for his qualifications. He didn't ask for his credentials. He got up, followed him, and he went. And then look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's the same thing with this study. God's not going to be able to do anything with you if you approach this book thinking that you don't need a healer, thinking that you don't need cleanse, thinking that you don't need anything from this Bible. It's the same thing with approaching it like a mirror and then walking away from it. You need to approach this book as if you need a physician to save your very soul, because you do, and then you need a physician to save you each and every day. If you don't approach it with that mentality, this Bible is not going to have the power. The Hebrews, we're not going to turn there, 11.6. You've got to believe the book or the power. It's not going to have any power inside your life. It's not going to be able to work inside of you. Do you think that you need a physician in here today? Well, then Jesus Christ can do something with you. This Bible can do something inside of you. If you think you're okay, if you don't think you have a problem then reading this Bible, going through this study, is going to be of none effect inside of you. Again, it goes back to it's a choice to allow these things to penetrate your heart. And flip over to 2 Thessalonians, and then we'll end. Chapter 2. Verse 8 says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So it's talking about the tribulation period. A lot of people say, well, I'll just wait till the tribulation period. When I see everybody raptured out, when I see all these things unfolding, when I see all the craziness happening, I don't know if it can, it's pretty crazy right now, but whatever, then I'll believe. Got news for you, you ain't going to believe anything. If you're sitting in here hearing it right now and you are rejecting it, you're going to believe the delusion just like everybody else. And then verse 12 that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And the reason I put this in here and the reason that it impacted me and I thought it just fit is 
even as a saved, born-again believer, you can still have pleasure in unrighteousness. You can still, again, be conformed to this world, not be sanctified, not be doing any of these wills. These wills will protect you from looking like just another lost person because you're, in essence, leading a bunch of lost people right behind you directly to hell. Don't have pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't believe not the truth. Saved or lost in here, believe the truth in the book. If you need to get saved, get saved. If you're saved, let these wills protect you. And in closing, I want you to think through this. So just like nailing down, I know Pastor Tom, Pastor Stephen said this, just like nailing down the seven mysteries in the Bible will protect you from basically every doctrine out there. Getting those down, believing them, understanding them will protect you from any false doctrine out there. Nailing these seven wills down will protect you in every facet practically in your life. They just will. You get the seven mysteries down, you get the seven wills down. Doctrinally, you are sound with the seven mysteries. Practically, you are sound with these seven wills. When you get these down, you believe them, you live them out, and you're very sensitive to God's leading with these things. You're open to changing whatever in your life needs changing. It will protect you very practically in your life. What do I mean by practically? I mean by the spouse you choose. I mean by the career you choose. I mean by where you choose to live, what ministry God has called you to do, what church you're supposed to be a part of. All these things that I'll be honest, when I was in high school, I was freaking out. I wanted to make sure I was doing the right things. I'm very analytical. I like everything laid out. If I could have a a 40-year plan that God could lay out what my life's going to be like, I would take it in a heartbeat because I like to know what's coming. I like to be able to plan, prep, and get ready for it. It's not how it works with God. There's always an element of faith. Sometimes a lot, sometimes a little. But you obey these things, I can assure you that all those things will work out. might not work out to the timing that you want it to, but it will be the best. And the best example I have of that is who you marry. It terrifies me to think of who I could have wound up with had I not been obedient and submissive to these wills. And I know that every adult in here would say the same thing about their spouse. Because there's people I guarantee that Satan would have drawn into my life that would have looked good, would have fit the bill. But it wasn't Brandy. God had a specific person waiting for me. And had I not been obedient to these wills, guarantee you we wouldn't be married today. And that's just one example, but man, that's huge. So if, that, if you're not captivated or bought in by any of the other reasons, let that be enough to strike a chord inside of you and make this real. These will protect you in every facet of your life. All right, let's pray.